This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy <laughs> Rose Studios in the crap part of Soho. We're already laughing. This is going to be a long part. Oh. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. We back. Oh, like Duncan Ferguson. Oh. oh, your lover, your new lover, your old lover has come back, Rog. And, and, and saved us, Dave, in our desperate hour of need. I will break the news. I'm in a relatively good mood wow. for this podcast. I give myself about a four out of ten, Dave. <laughs> That's amazing. I've never, I don't think I've ever, I've rarely seen you at four. I've rarely seen <sighs> they you. They said it that wasn't high. medically possible. Yeah, I'm down one point to nine. You are. Today, just oh, down one point. Mate, the Bears beat the Cowboys. I know, it's an amazing sporting weekend. Everton won El Blaze Erico. Yeah. In a game, I want to assure Chelsea listeners we will break down objectively and professionally. <laughs> yeah. Can I just describe a moment from Saturday's Rumble which has haunted me, left me reeling, grappling even, with, don't like to be hyperbolic, just some of the most profound questions a human can ask themselves. Okay, go ahead. Watching the game, yeah. which you know is 90 minutes. Yeah. Valiant Everton. Shucking their identity. To my surprise, I will say my surprise. What were they doing to their identity? Shucking it. Okay. Their identity, let's say they were footballing Ralph Wiggums, right? Suddenly they're like buccaneering, they're fighting, they're playing with collective wonder. The stuff that makes me love sport in the first place. And I'm watching with all my kids, my wife, God love, I was away in LA uh, this week for work. So I had all four of them watching with me. Living out that emotional wonder that was Big Dunk's holy return to lift us all up. And at the final whistle, a massive game won. An enormous, an enormous three points. I mean, three points. A massive, seismic. A sculpture. You you know those love sculptures that you see where it says love in huge letters? Three points were that big. Yeah. They were that big. And my second son, Bear. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a he's a beautiful he's a he is a beautiful boy. He's a inside and out. He's a beautiful a, boy. Oh, he's got an incredible. He's a very cool gentleman. He's a he watches. He's got an incredible read of human nature. Sees everything. I think if EA Sports FIFA gave empathy ratings, he'd probably get a ninety-five. Or a yeah, 96. maybe higher. Yeah, possibly at Theo Walcott levels, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> of empathy, just of empathy. <laughs> and at the final whistle, yeah, I felt an incredible overwhelming sense of joy an incredible relief too and i look over at him because he's sitting closest to me on the couch and i expect to do that like shared fan laugh shared pump in the air shared high five crap and instead at the final whistle his little face just crumpled and he fell into my arms and he silently sobbed david kind of profound sobs you know them when you hold somebody and they're just the sobs are coming from so deep inside that the whole body's shaking in your hands yeah this is the second time you've told me this story and i love it and i love all your kids i love little bears he's a he's a he's like a he's such an open and wise he's an old soul of a human being he's a poet that warrior. boy and i think it's beautiful and you've got emotional the second time you told me the story and i imagine you'll tell that story for the rest of your life you'll get emotional about it but i still come back to the same thing is this right that yes. you have your children caring so much about Everton Football Club and the outcome of individual games that they play in that they're going to crumple into heaps in what, even the good even moments. Even in victory, mate. But that what would have happened if they'd lost? Mate, these are the questions. I mean, I just, <laughs> I want you to know, I just hugged him and yeah. held him. And in victory, I realised just how much of a toll hoping for Everton week in, week out has taken on my kids. How much, like, ultimately, I realised the threat of relegation 
he took that so seismically. Like, to me, it's like, eh, like I can't believe Everton are going to... I've seen this movie before, this dalliance of relegation. <laughs> Big Sam, bish bosh, it's a bit of crapsy. Here we go again. Buy some new players, let's do it. He said to me later, Dave, he said, I've kept it in all week, the stress, the darkness. He said, and I had to write this down. He said, it, it felt like someone we loved was dying and I could do nothing to stop it. <laughs> this isn't good. Tell me all that. This how, isn't good. How, how, how bad a parent am I? Is Pretty bad. <laughs> Pretty bad. Because really, he's just, he's, refle- he's reflecting, refracting. He's ingested all of your stress and emotionality you put into <sighs> Everton, despite other, I don't care, I'm numb to it, I'm numb to it, I'm numb to it, but you never are. And he's just taken all of that in and he's now carrying that burden. Yeah. I think yep. it's time for that perspective conversation. Yeah. I think, and also, Divock Origi, if you're listening, <laughs> much of this is your fault, as I think you'll accept. It did, did make me realise, and I forget, I spent so much of my life, probably over a year, when all pushed together, watching Everton lose games terribly. And losing has become such a core part of my identity. Don't take away my losing. But for my kids, they don't cheer like I do. When they sing... We're by far the greatest team the world has ever seen. And it's air. They believe those words, David. Whereas I believe they're the greatest team. I'm saying implicitly the greatest team to me. I don't sing that part, but that's implicit. They are the greatest team. But to me, all of this has plummeted me into the depths of emotion. Producer J-Dub's best summed up with his magnificent line. It's always lightest just before the dark. Yeah. <sighs> And light is just after the darkness. It's like it's a darkness sandwich. What's going on right now? Life is a darkness sandwich. The contrast. I've got a new Trump stamp feeling coming on. The contrast in the Davo household. My uh, kids are walking to the uh, holiday fair at their school on Saturday uh, lunchtime. And they're walking up Hudson Street in the crap part of Soho towards their school. And two GFOPs stopped them and said, oh, my God, are you Davo's kids? Because they recognise them from Instagram or they recognise George or JJ, one of them. And they're like, yes. And they have this whole conversation and these are Tottenham fans, uh, apparently like very nice. And I what said did to, they say to this, uh, oh, we've got to fight now. I guess no, we've got to fight. Yeah, I know. Oh, George was on. ready. He pulled his keys out. And uh, when he heard they were, they were pure Spurs. And um, anyway, so they were telling they FaceTimed me to go and tell me the story. I said, oh, no, George, did they taunt you about the El Blazerica result, the yeah, Everton beating Chelsea? And George looked at me and he went, Everton beat Chelsea. Like, he had no idea that the game had happened, no idea what it is. And I said, yeah, they lost. And he goes, yeah, okay. Like, no, literally no material effect on him whatsoever. A loss, a win, a draw, a Champions League trophy. He likes winning trophies. But, like, everything else doesn't really matter. (sighs) Naivety and innocence (laughs) are the best inoculation from despair. Life, Davo, is a darkness Ignorant bliss. Okay, talking of darkness, Rog, you've got a PhD in it. We've got a ton of Men in Blazers content coming up. This week, we have a series of pieces dropping on Golf Channel and Golf Channel's digital in which we uh, deeply analyse the rules changes in the game and also celebrate the President's Cup down in Australia. Can I just say on that? Yeah. One of the joys of my year, and we've had many wonderful (laughs) moments this year. You know, we talked to Steve Kerr in profound ways. We've talked to Uvechkin about the incredible bender that he went. I mean, we just had interview after we spoke to Megan Rapino several yeah. times about the most profound things. Breaking down, as we do in one of the films, the things that have influenced us in our imagination about yeah. Australia and talking yeah. to you about Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. Oh, Don't Skippy. knock it till you've seen it. I mean, Don't knock it till you've seen it, viewers. That video, one of the joys of my year. I may, I may or may not have 
have reached out to the original IP holders to see about the rights of Skippy. Skippy, just let me, just if you don't know what we're talking about, just know it's a 1970s Australian television show in which Skippy, the bush kangaroo. Masterpiece, I would call it. It's a real life television show. Solves crime after crime after crime. Yeah, yeah, to be clear, Skippy the kangaroo solves crime after crime after crime. Yep, talks. (laughs) <laughs> just yeah, like exactly. that, we need to get Skippy on the podcast. <laughs> oh. We're getting far more into this than our yeah. listeners, but please watch it. It's beautiful. Anyway, it, yeah. Learning about Skippy will in yeah. turn make you want to watch the president. We also Cup. talk a little bit about the golf, <laughs> but it's mainly for us. It's mainly Skippy the kangaroo related. We are back on. You do look a bit like Skippy. And, I'm not uh, as talented. <laughs> On live TV. How many crimes have you solved, Rog? I know. <laughs> what, Skip? There's a helicopter down in the bush, Skip. we got to run into the Wagga Wagga. <laughs> Follow Skippy. I think he knows something. <laughs> We're back on live TV next Monday at 5.30pm Eastern Time with special guest KSI. Oh. Then, over the holidays... We have a Boxing Day special, see what I did there, with John Oliver and a New Year's Day special with Edwin van der Sar. That's a lot of crap from us, Rod. <laughs> okay, Rod, we've got a packed show. We're going to relive in painstaking objective detail Everton's 3-1 El Blaise Erico victory over Chelsea. We're going to marvel at nice guy Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's efficacy as Manchester United turned down the volume on their noisy neighbours in the 179th Manchester derby. And Jamie Vardy just <sighs> won't stop scoring. But first... A toast. Oh, I want to raise oh, my first third bud of the day uh-huh. to Nirvana. I like that sound effect when I speak into the glass. <laughs> oh, God, that smells good. To Nirvana, uh-huh. a concept I've thought a lot about over the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Frank Lampard, actually, and his babies made me first consider it. That yep. perfect synergy of his return. Mm. Chelsea's dire need. That need solved by the wonder and beauty of youth. And the satisfying feeling that ensued. Best captured, I believe, and I think we both agree, by the words of Bhikkhu Bodhi, the translator of Buddhist texts, as the state of perfect happiness, complete peace, complete inner freedom, full awakening and understanding. And then I felt it again, as did you, watching 33-year-old West Ham debutant goalkeeper David Martin. Oh, it was a beautiful moment. Keep that clean sheet for his childhood club in their hour of need. And then again... This weekend, watching cult hero Big Dunk, Duncan Ferguson, return to a plummeting Everton. It's a bit like having Lawrence Taylor step in, temporarily coach the Giants, if they were going to be, and they probably should be, relegated to the XFL. When watching Big Dunk deliver, charge down the sideline in full flight, hugging ball boys and players and the crowd, feeling a state of ecstasy which transcends sport. And it's about a human wholeness of emotion, the Buddhist concept, I think, of tathata, meaning suchness or thatness. And I raise my bud fam, blood fam, to thatness, David. Thatness. 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 When we experience something and say to ourselves, reality is wondrously beautiful, but also its patterns are fragile and passing. David, to thatness. Oh, thatness, Roger. Okay. World Let's needs get this. more thatness. Let's get this over and done with. We've already spoken about it for an hour and a half. Come Everton on! three, Chelsea one. Your Marco Silverless mob find their way out of the relegation zone and to the top of the oh pod rundown. Thanks to a comprehensive victory over 
my beloved Chelsea, under interim manager, club legend Duncan Ferguson, an early Richardson <laughs> header, and a dominant Calvert-Lewin brace proved too much for Frank's babies, who have now lost three of their last four. Crisis, crisis, crisis. The victory lifts Everton out of the relegation zone, and we assume boosts the mood in the Bennett household. No, not. Well, not really. How are you feeling? Uh, we know how you're feeling about this, Roger. We've ex- you've explained it in detail. Yeah, you're going to go again. The arc. Well, oh, my it, God. It's a Band-Aid we have to rip off slowly and painfully, Dave. Yeah. It might not happen again in my lifetime. I, will, I do want to go back to the beginning because... <laughs> Before kickoff, I do. It was as oh, close I thought you going back to the Big Bang or the beginning cool. of human well, life. Well, I'm happy to go there if you want. <laughs> when Sam Allardyce exploded out of nothingness and all was good. Yeah. Oh, I did feel before kickoff as though I was working in a factory of broken dreams. Marco Silva, somewhat belatedly and really quite clumsily, had been given the heave ho on Thursday after that Merseyside mauling in the derby. His permanent successor will be the fifth manager to serve in just three and a half years since Farhad Mashiri took over Everton. That revolving door, possibly mm, the biggest symbol of a club soaked in its own history, considering itself to be a traditional power, almost overwhelmed and undermined by a desperate desire to reclaim that status. Who cares about strategy or patience? In for this game, step cult hero, club legend, he'd been an assistant manager, stepped up for the game, do you remember him as a deeply physical striker? Oh, not only a deeply physical striker, but a lot of what he did on the field was as an enforcer to some extent. He was the <sighs> he was the um, spiritual leader on the park for this uh, team in the box from like defending corners in the middle of the park when he wanted to like send a message to somebody, defending his other players, going at the ref, going occasionally at the opposing manager, and a prototypical old-style centre-forward. He's got his head on everything. He arrived in Everton in the mid-90s from Scotland, where he'd just been imprisoned for headbutting an (laughs) opponent on the field of play. And he arrived at Everton, where he always seemed perpetually semi-out of control, but still established himself to be our top scorer during dark days at Everton Football Club, Mm. almost single-handedly, time and time again, kept us out of relegation in the late 90s, returning as an assistant coach and cleaning up his act. The best way of summing up Dunk was that at his peak in Liverpool, armed robbers broke into his house and he beat the crap out of them. In, In fact, I seem to remember there was a detail in the court case which I believe they brought against him for how badly he beat these armed robbers up. They tried to jump out the window and escape, and I believe he pulled them back into his house by the gun to beat them up some more. God. Uh, anyway, facing this Chelsea, a team against whom we have a terrible record. The Ag score in the last seven old Blaze Ericos, 14-1 to Chelsea. Big Dunk essentially steps in like a, I think a Scottish Liam Neeson in Taken willing to do whatever extraordinary things to protect the one thing in life he loves. I don't have money. What I do have are a very particular set of skills, skills mm. that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter Everton go now, that'll be the end of it. If not, I'll look for you. I will find you and then I will kill you, which is exactly what he meant, I believe, David, when he said we'll fight for every ball, we'll cover every blade of grass because that's what they did on this thing. We speak a lot on this pod 
where we sometimes can overstate the importance of emotional and those human sometimes, characteristics, which people, in, but fans like look for. We want them to play with passion, play for the badge, play for the club, go and do those whole things. And something which we are reminded constantly of when we speak to elite surveyors of this game is that it's coaching and technical ability and winning important moments and decisive battles on the field that really make the difference in football. However, this was a day that was literally fueled by passion and passion <sighs> alone. And even coming up on the wrong side of it, it was beautiful. And I felt pessimistic about it from the second that I watched Big Dunk's entrance up those stairs announced at the beginning of the game. Because, by the way, as huge as it was, Frank Lampard coming back to the club, coming back to Chelsea and managing this team, if you look at his home debut as a manager... It was a fairly understated announcement, a fairly understated moment that Frank got. This Duncan Ferguson moment was so choreographed. And the camera, if you watch Frank Lampard's body language in the background, Frank Lampard, who's a player who respected Duncan Ferguson as a player, respects him, had very nice things to say about him in the pre-match presser and the post-match presser. But he's looking at the whole thing happening. And I've got to think he's thinking, F. Holy crap, I've got to get in the ring with him. F. F. Like, my babies are going into this pressure cooker of this emotional atmosphere. And every time this season that the emotional volume has turned up on these Chelsea babies, they have wilted. It was a test that they just yeah, felt unprepared re- re- to stand. Retrospectively, you were right. I didn't feel it at the time because I hadn't even had the chance to adopt a surrender Cobra when on five minutes, oh, the potent Sidibe curled a probing cross into the middle. And who was there to head it in, David? Well, no one from Chelsea was anywhere near it. Not our goalkeeper, none of our defenders. I think Christensen was, like, marking four defenders at the point. And it's your boy, Rich Arlison. Yeah. Rich Arlison, who, you know, he's reborn. Suddenly, there's Rich Arlison, Ricky Arlison. Ferguson, unironically, in the post-game conference, kept calling him Rick Arlison. I love that. Rich Arlison is a Brazilian who does the pigeon dance when he scores. And in this one, this goal was like a big dunk header steaming in. Uh, Rick Arlison... He's just a geezer, hangs out in the corner of the pub, has a car trunk full of dodgy stolen goods. He'll sell you for cents on the dollar if you're in the know. You need a tuxedo? Rick Arlison just happens to have a lot of new brown ones in his car outside (laughs) the pub. And watching him, the Brazilian, slap his Everton badge in joy. Goodison Park, just throb. Big dunk, charging down the sideline in celebration, grabbing a ball boy, flinging him to the heavens. It was exactly what we all needed, David. The only shocking thing to me was that Big Dunk didn't fling off his jacket, tear off this shirt and kiss the Everton tattoo that he has on his chest. It was just a magnificent moment. And Everton continued to press from the front. It was all basic. You're right, David. This was basic. It almost moys Everton, 4 4 built on the players giving a crap, saying, we're not good, but we're going to come at you with a collective fist. Rick Arlison and DCL pressing Kovacic and Kanti, tearing at Chelsea, pressing, driving them back, hoping the crowd would get behind them, which they did, and then just exploiting speed on the flank. Sky statistician Adam Batte tweeted the major difference Dunk made. Everton, 37 tackles against Chelsea, the most made by any team in the Premier League this season. Most Everton have made in a decade. It was magnificent. You could tell from the way Sidibe marked Christian Pulisic, who was a non-factor in this game, marked really tight. Sidibe used his hands, pushed, nibbled away at Pulisic, kicked him 
at the time. You, you could tell Big Dunk had sent them out and said, these lads, these Chelsea lads, they don't like it up. Totally. Because you know what? Chelsea had plenty of possession in this game. And I think after weathering not particularly well the initial onslaught and going 1-0 down, I thought Chelsea came back into the game pretty well. They had plenty of possession. They were getting the ball to the edge of the box. They the, were getting into attacking positions. There were Tammy moments. There were moments when Tammy looked like he was just calibrating his aim. Yeah, there was just, they were they getting into attacking positions, but then just hesitating. There wasn't a single moment that I can remember this entire game of a hesitation moment from an Everton player. And I felt this was just hesitant. I hate to say this. I was reminded a little bit of Sarri's Chelsea in terms of that overplaying the ball, that hesitancy (sighs) of the edge of the box, that running at someone and then stopping. And it was wasteful. And it just, to me, the emotion of the entire moment and you've talked a lot about Goodison the the atmosphere that sits in that in that ground I felt like the emotion of the moment got to them as it did by the way opening day of the season at Old Trafford against Man United I just think it got to them and it would get better for Everton the other side of half time by the way when I type that phrase into my game notes it would get better for Everton we never said it before my computer spell checked it yeah it did told me it was grammatically impossible (laughs) (laughs) that little paper clip with eyes popped up I saw defending from who Davo Kurt Zuma. Oh, my God. One of your own. You wanted him. We taught him well. <laughs> yeah, you did. We did. Instead of clearing the ball, he just kind of smacked a pop-up fly. Yeah. Which Dominic Calvert-Lewin pounced on. God love DCL. Yeah. I've well, got... it, wasn't so much, it wasn't so much the popping it up in the air that was the moment. It's that, that as you said yesterday, he peed his pants on the way down. It's a, <laughs> it, was, it just didn't really know how to deal with it once he'd created the mistake. You know, we saw, we'll talk about it later, that moment in the Leicester game where Jamie Vardy whiffed on the ball and then immediately got it back. Bounce back ability, such an important quality. Kurt Zoma had a moment and then completely failed to bounce back from it. Oh, and DCL got under it. DCL, a player who tries so bloody hard. He's good at... Trying hard. Oh, yeah, pretty much. He is. Give him 10 out of 10 for trying. Yeah. All the things strikers are meant to do as add-ons. He's so good. Link play, knockdowns, getting his head on the ball, that kind of thing. To see him actually score goals was, on this day, bewildering. And uh, uh, he reeled away. He looked shocked. He lifted up his shirt in Selly, knowing that he could Photoshop his muscles on his abs and make them look like my Pilates abs when he later posted on Instagram. I was like, what are these strange emotions I am experiencing, feelings of happiness, alien feelings whilst watching Everton play football? And before I could work out the answer, I was exposed to an emotion I was much more familiar with. Oh, yeah, Chelsea got one back through their sudden... I think he's their most informed scorer over recent games, Mateo Kovacic. Yeah, God, the commentator had just got out of his throat that Chelsea hadn't come back from two goals down all season. Genuinely just spat that out. And then Kovacic pounced on a poor Dinya clearance. Kovacic met the ball on the volley with his right first time. It was a seeing-eye single. Phenomenal strike. Kovacic coming into getting used to playing for Chelsea Football Club now. It's had a better season and this was this was a better game from him and for a moment there I certainly felt okay here we come here we come I know we haven't come back we haven't done well coming back this yeah but this is Everton this is Everton only Aston Villa have conceded more in the last 15 minutes of games big dunk good at passion would he be good at tactics who knew we hadn't seen our boys had run so hard I mean, I, I just watched the excellent movie. It's on actually on HBO, which I'm, thank God, I've been looking for ages, When We Were Kings, about the Ali Foreman rumble in the jungle. And I was worried that Everton had punched themselves out. Yeah. I really was. And I, I've watched them do it so many times before. There was such an old school feeling of doom to this Everton-Chelsea game. I half expected Matic to smash the ball past Tim Howard from long range, David. I knew that was coming. But instead, <laughs> the last thing I imagined happened. 
Everton scored. 90% of this game and 90% of the disappointment of this game, I can sort of brush off and think, you know what, Chelsea will attack better. I do think that these babies are going to get stronger going forward. The team are going to come together. They will, you know, Frank Lampard in the post-match wants them to take more shots, wants them to go and take more chances, and they'll get there. Reinforcements coming in January. This is going to be good. The team needs it. Rudiger's going to come back from injury. Hopefully RLC, please God. The 10% that actually is really worrying for Chelsea is that what goes on between Kepa and their centre-backs and the whole defensive understanding of the back for Chelsea. Yeah, and this, this is, is something, and this was a goal, and this is not the first time this has happened this season. This was a terrible giveaway in a moment where you're trying to come back in the game. A terrible giveaway from Kepa. Awful. And then the defence, they had so many chances to go and clear this ball afterwards, and they just failed to do it. It's like they're, you're in a dream, and you know, and you can't run, and you're, you have leaden feet. It was like that moment. And this understanding, I would even say the first goal is a little bit of that too, is that this just lack of understanding between the goalkeeper, who is a brilliant shot stopper, Kepper, but he's not much of a leader at the back. This is a worrying element And in Chelsea. this game, Christensen had more than a touch of the Zoomers, both floundered, Kepper yeah. did neither a favour, Davis pounced. And the ball broke to DCL. Chelsea Slayer. I was wrong, DCL. On this day, I was wrong. And he poked the ball home. Such a malign, much-doubted athlete. Had his day. He's like Origi to Chelsea. What Origi is to Liverpool, DCL now is to Chelsea. In a massive game, suddenly delivered when no one expected him to, like a Premier League Mitch Trubisky. And that was that, Dave. No fast car today. I just imagined, I looked up to the heavens and I thought the spirit of the late, great Stephen Naismith must be looking down from heaven. <laughs> he's still alive, bud. <laughs> you can't see him because he's invisible, but he's still alive. <laughs> so much joy. I mean, I thought our only pleasure was going to be crapping on Ross Barkley, but my tears of despair after the Merseyside derby turned to tears of joy in the space of just three days. Football. How do you do that to us in the safest possible way? you Chelsea first. What was your take? They seemed unimaginative, cumbersome, lost three of the last four. Lamp said post-game, you give them a tiny bit of room because of the youth of some of the team. They're not silly. They know that physical contact happens in games like this. We've got to learn to deal with it better. Look, I think they got the right manager. I feel everything that Lampard said after the game, and I feel this increasingly with him, is I, he never says anything, and I think, yeah, I don't agree with your assessment. I don't agree you're right. He actually is very honest about the performances and very honest about what happened, and I feel good about that. Despite the recent El Blazerico record of, like, 14 goals to one until <sighs> this game, actually, in the Men in Blazers era... The record has been pretty close. 11 wins for Chelsea, 8 wins for Everton don't now, 5 throw draws. Facts in my no, face. It's, it's the truth. Chelsea don't play very well God. against Everton. And they just, I don't think there are many teams in the Men in Blazers area since 2010. In that era, Chelsea haven't been very good about Everton. It's a difficult club for them to play. They don't do well against that kind of passion. Chelsea are a team who don't like it up them. Very yeah, they much. don't like it up them. So you've got, Dave, a $200 million transfer, Kitty rumoured, yeah. after Chelsea's transfer ban was lifted this week. Mm-hmm. Sensational. Would you be wary about upsetting locker room chemistry or would you be in there in January splashing cash? And in which case, what would you spend it on? I would not be worried about upsetting locker room chemistry. I would be doing what I can to forge competition and make players perform for their places and worry worry about whether they're going to make it. I would start in the centre of defence. I, like a lot of Chelsea fans, would like to see Nathan Arke back at the yes, club. Rumors. We let him go. It would be nice to have him back. We've got a buyback clause, fortunately, in the contract that we sold him ben for. Ben Chilwell also rumoured. Yeah, another very good player. You know, Dave is getting a little 
long in the tooth at the left back. It would be good to see Chilwell come into the team. I think that would be a very good player, good experience, very solid player. So I'm more interested in what goes on at the back. I think we've got more going forward. It would be great if we could spring Wilfred Zaha from Crystal Palace, if we could end up with Jaden Sancho from Dortmund. I think those would be amazing buys. But I would be starting at the back with this club. I'd probably spend all $200 million buying Gary Cahill back. I love Gary Cahill. <laughs> I tell you, you wouldn't have an argument for me. I'd like him in the squad. Gary Cahill plus more Americans plus Matt Miazga. Mm. <laughs> Top four place. Maybe not Matt Miazga. Big game against Lille today in the Champions League. And this is like not great time. But this is a really important game for Chelsea. And I think we're going to know a lot more and you'll know a lot more by the time this pod drops about how Chelsea are going to respond to this, how the manager gets a result out of these um, out of these kids and, and out of this squad. And I think it is time for some of those senior players, Kante, Jorginho, Dave, I think are going to have to step up, you know, and I think we're going to need somebody coming off the bench and doing something for the club. Talk about Everton, David. I mean, look, Everton, tell me, I mean, is this, I guess the question is, is this new manager bounce capable of lasting several games or do the same problems which you outlined at the end of last week's pod still remain and... What do your team have to go and do over the next few weeks? It was a magnificent day for me up there with Everton 4, Manchester United nil of last season. That was also just a magnificent day. I mean, we needed it. It was a return to everything that thrills me about Everton Football Club. At their best in the Premier League era, we've always been tenacious. We've always been a collective. Whatever the odds, we take the field with hustle, without fear, with passion. And particularly in context after the demolition against Liverpool's second team earlier in the week. It was just exhilarating again to see Everton Football Club run fast, try hard, never give up. Because I've got to say, we've barely tried. Under Marco Silva, we have given up. We didn't really give a crap. And that, to me, that's where I can't watch football. That's where you suspend belief when the footballers are not trying. It makes it it's the same about life. It transcends football. It's not losing that matters. What it's terrible not terrible human beings for not giving a crap from playing for their club, though. I don't believe that for a second. <sighs> I don't believe they're that bad that they didn't give a crap playing for Marco Silva or playing that. These are the same players who kiss the badge Schneidlin, when they're playing mate, under Ferguson. was a man possessed under Duncan Ferguson, possibly because a new manager is coming in and they want to well, impress. He's get beaten. <laughs> beaten but to, to, fed uh, to the pigeons. Fed to, the, fed, yeah. fed to Duncan's pigeons. But. The, the reality is Schneidlin under Marco Silva for the past year and a half has just casually watched as players have blown past him. I mean, mm. you can watch game film of Schneid just ushering people through. And to watch players not give a crap, I can't watch that. At Zachary McCartin 4 tweeted, when I, I, I tweeted a version out, he said, I'll take things that used to define the US men's national team for 500. There must have been scenes, I will say, with Big Dunk in that locker room. There will have been some whiskey drinks. There will have been some lager drinks. And, and I feel like you can either gain relief when you give up. I think it's when you give up in life, it, there's an incredible relief. I, I, believe me, I've done it. And you can gain relief by renewing the fight. And Everton did the latter for one day. And it was a magnificent... I, did, I, I, I tweeted this, that we were all the Everton ball boy on this day, lifted up by Duncan Ferguson in our hour of need. Make that a bloody statue amazing because that man allowed us to feel emotions that... To be honest, I doubted that we'd feel for a long time, which is joy and victory. And Duncan Ferguson right afterwards was cornered by the English press. Do you feel you've made a statement? Have you said to Farhad Mashiri that this is your club and you want to shoulder it from now on? 
I loved what he said. He's so humble, so real. He said it was an unbelievable experience, one I'll never forget. Honestly, I won't be going to Mashiri, the owner, asking for the job. I'm just here for Everton. We want the very best managers in the world at Everton Football Club. That's what he's saying. He said, it's not me. It's not me. He said, he himself said, it's one game. It's one result. And I love this tweet from at PGDJ88 who said, Simple Rog, let's have 38 different managers in a season. You can't lose if you're always on the new manager bounce. We probably can if Unai Emery's coming though, David. You like that, don't you? I mean, yeah, I like that for you. I prefer John Terry coming to Everton more. I think that would be hilarious. Look, I think if Duncan Ferguson wins a few more games before they have another manager, I think there will be a question. I think there will be a moment. But no, I think I people love, ask, I love, winning I love. changes. Winning, look how one win has changed everything in your mood and around the yeah, club. Yeah, but you watched it. If you they watched win it and four, you know it was 73% all about the hugs. That's what Premier League management is in the post-flop era. It's just about the hugs. If they win four on the spin... I got to tell you, it's going to be. They've got a couple of other big games coming up too. If they win some more big games, everything <laughs> will change. Around it's this a story. nice problem to have. I will say it's hilarious to me how hugging and football have become so. This new trope of the post-match whistle going and then the camera going on the field behind the manager, and this is a new scene. We take it for granted. We've now diagnosed how the players come up to the manager. Are the hugs real Arsenal fans? You yeah. know what I'm talking about. Yeah, everyone was diagnosing Freddie's hugs with the players. Were they genuine? Were the players hugging him with love? It's like a soap opera. But Premier League management has 73% become about the bloody hugs. I'll also say this Unai Emery thing linked to Everton, which is hilarious and dark. It's as if the Premier League is just playing out in my own dark upside down <laughs> of a viewing experience. I do believe right now, because everyone's tweeting, what do you think about it? What do you think about it? I believe that whenever there's a vacancy right now, the manager's agents are just briefing totally, the press and the totally. press are just running with it because it's a great story. It makes us all click. Yeah. But I pray, I pray that Fahad Mashiri has actually, you know, been watching football for the last 12 months and we'll, uh, and we'll put this story to bed. Here we go, Rod. Man City, another huge, huge game went on this weekend. Man City won, Man United two, And after conquering... Jose Mourinho at Old Trafford. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, what a week. Marches his troops straight into the Etihad and claims another high-profile, not to mention smooth-balled scout. They Marcus Rashford penalty, his 10th goal of the season, and a near-stick strike from Anthony Martial, a reborn Anthony Martial, gave the red half of Manchester a 2-0 lead. City clapped back in the second 45, but could only muster a late Nico Otamendi header. City stayed third, but slipped 14 points behind Liverpool. Astonishing. United, meanwhile, surge into fifth, just five points off the top four. 179th Manchester derby, a game that in the near-modern period has felt seismic. It's always felt title-defining. Yeah. Not this one. United entered, 11 points behind reigning champion City, closer to zero points, as everyone kept revelling, than to league-leading Liverpool, and City themselves fighting not to go 14 behind their title-chasing rivals. Despite that, the stakes were still so high for all these future, for Pep's sanity. This was... A riveting game. I mean, it was Dr. Pepper halftime tuition giveaway riveting. Frenzied opening. City dominant. United, though, so poised on the counter. Anthony Martial, Daniel James, Jesse Lingard and Smashford. A front four that was way too fast, too furious, looking to charge at City's vulnerability at the heart of the battle. And we all knew it was there, David. The defences looked so human. More than human. Vulnerable. 
and particularly susceptible to one thing in particular, the counterattack. It's like City's defence is like a thermal exhaust port on the Death Star if that thermal exhaust port was massive and John Stone-sized and, and United just went for it. Look, there was a determination about Man United in this game and it was written all over OGS's face. If you think about him when he came in his new manager bounce, it was almost a naive look about him, but like everything was going so well. And then when he started having the challenges, he looked always like worried, looked always concerned. There's been a steal about OGS in just terms of his countenance over the last couple of weeks, which has been very, very impressive to me. He is trying to like grab hold of that Man United job and not go and let it go away. And that steal, I think, has been reflected across the pitch. Some of the most outstanding performances in this game, Scott McTominay, who we've spoken a lot. I mean, he is just a wonderful, wonderful footballer. But Lindelof, Lindelof was just outstanding in this game. I've not seen Lindelof play like this in the Premier League. Maguire was good too, but they were just so good at the back. Fred! Fred! I'm getting... Martial! Reborn! Fred! Fred, this cannot be the same Fred that we watched in a Manchester Fred's United brother. shirt before. It's got to be Fred's brother. It's Fred Nige. something. Nige. Or, or an entirely different Fred from an entirely different line of Freds. I mean, it just it, it was an astonishing game to watch. United had 28% possession, but just used it so lethally, so clinically, from the off. I mean, phew, Rashford charging into the city box. Bernardo Silva, God love him. Bernardo Silva. Speaks 73 languages, and one of them is fouling. Nipped at Smashford, penalty, and Rashford goes to the spot. It's as if the Englishness, you can almost see it leave his body. It's well, just like his English soul also, leaves his body. And also, remember what was going on at the beginning of the season when, when, when Manchester United's, including Marcus Rashford's woes from the spot, was something we were like actually talking about at length on the podcast. He now has this look. He has that... Look at he's got a whole new routine before he goes up for a penalty now. It's a very, very different it's thing. Slightly, that he does. slightly Pogba-esque, and the only difference being is he actually scores. Sco- converts. Yeah, I mean, but it is very continental Euro. And I will say the one thing I truly love about Rashbean's goals, and there's been many of them recently, Jesse Lingard. Not always the most committed on the field. No, he since, loves a selling. Not since David Beckham have United had a player more aware that the first person to jump on the back of the goal scorer gets front billing in yeah, the tabloid newspapers the next day. Jesse Lingard, always first to the photograph. Pace on the wings, just kept crushing City's hope, City's spirit. United were so confident that Fred megged Rodri, yes, that Fred, within six minutes, it would be 2-0. City's back line, playing like Phil Jones in Sky Blue, stood off. James and Martial, oh, what a finish. As clever, as said on the television show, a finish that was as clever as an aviation gin commercial. And it all felt so shocking, David. United, magnificent. They could have been four or five up. No. It was like watching the Why Always Me game, but in reverse. It yeah, really I mean, was that you, dominant. You just mentioned Daniel James, the young Welshman. He was just outstanding on, in this game. I think so Ole, much pace. Ole must have bullcrapped them that Jose Mourinho had now become the coach of Manchester City because they were playing so committed, so so angry. And at half time. The challenge really was, could United show experience, show the confidence to close the game down? Half of me expected them to look at the tightrope and panic, especially when City took the field determined to drive United back. And it was then, it was then that you Lindelof for your highlight, defended with a vigour yeah. and a determination. I love when Lindelof celebrated a block like a linebacker celebrating a sack. That was yeah. just an emotional exclamation point. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, David, what a player, though, turning in, Really a shut-down cornerback. It's like watching Stefan Gilmore. Yeah, I mean, he's an elite, elite defender. And I think 
you know, he's actually had some struggles since starting at Man United and we haven't seen the best of him. You know, he is a he's a right back who does struggle going forward a little. That was never his his strength at Palace. But one on one defensively <sighs> and even one against two or one against three defensively, <laughs> he is a unit. He's yeah, very, very He tough. sends one to Mark One, Basaka yeah, the other. Basaka and Aaron and Aaron, Aaron, Aaron is floating. Uh, Anchor, yeah. He's in the safety role, the free safety role. By the way, he marked more than Sterling. He marked a number of of, of City players and just shut them all down and took <sighs> away the space on that side of the field. And City's frustration built. They had so much ball, but in the final third, it reminded me of watching Arsenal and with Riziki Kazula kind of era when they'd often try and walk the ball into the net. And that frustration thread to the stands. And in a moment of true haunting darkness, Manchester City fans, I mean, they pelted Fred. At the time, it looked like they pelted him with cigarette lighters. And I thought at the time, that is a move that's going to help no one. No one wins when your team are behind and you are pelting the opponent. It's old school. It used to be very commonplace when we grew up. It's it's a terrible look. And then it became worse when it was revealed that one arsehole was screaming at Fred with racist language. It filled me with disgust. It filled me with sadness that Fred said later... This is Fred speaking. We are still in a backward society. And I'll credit Man City for moving so quickly. They responded appropriately, swiftly, presumably will ban the fan for life. I think criminal charges have also been filed against him. But what did you make of it all? Because it was was a horror. This was optically... I'm not saying bad things don't go on at every club at some points during the season or during the recent Premier League era. But this was optically just the worst thing I've seen go on in on a field during the NBC era of covering the Premier League. And what was so awful about it, yes, the actions of the individual fan, which no doubt are going to be dealt with, are just inexcusable. What I was actually more concerned with were the actions of the entire section of fans. You know, And that's where I thought that it was, for a moment, going to get ugly. You know, It wasn't just like a couple of things were thrown and then it all cooled down. A couple of things were thrown and then it escalated. More things were thrown. You know, I really credit both the United and the City players for how they handled that situation and just carrying on because it would have affected the City players as well. Raheem Sterling has been a victim of terrible racism, I'm ashamed to say, at my Chelsea football club and a vocal last season and a leader. vocal outspoken leader in the fight against racism. It would have affected the City players as well. It was just disgusting. It was awful. It looked for a while like it was going to escalate. But this is pure cowardice. It's such cowardice. Like hiding behind their stands and the fact that the you know they know that the players aren't going to like jump in after them. It's just cowardice. It's so pathetic. It's so awful. It's so wrong. I have a horrible feeling that these people are people who like, for some reason, will go go and do it at the football and think it's okay. It's just a bit of banter. Uh, I can't stand that attitude. And I hope Man City and actually the police move very, very quickly to deal with this. At the end of the day, and we've said this before, football is just a mirror that is held up to the society which surrounds it. It is in every case, particularly in the national game. We see that in in European settings over and over again. And Gary Neville said something really poignant on Sky. He said, we have a prime minister right now who just called minorities. He actually said what the prime minister said, and it is absolutely horrifying. And then later barely apologised for his words. That's Gary Neville speaking. He said, the prime minister's punishment was to become the leader of the country and is likely to continue in that position after this week. So ultimately, it's a football problem, but that football problem is rooted into societal problems that are one and the same. You know, it is right. Football does reflect the, the you know, larger issues going on in society. 
But, you know, Britain is a more multicultural country. It's better for its multiculturalism, as we've seen in our trips to London, our trips to Manchester, our trips to Liverpool. By the way, that's true on and off the field. And I think what the Premier League (sighs) illustrates a, a, a version of Britain that is also accurate, that is also there. And the vast majority of fans do not feel the way that this minority of idiots um, go and feel. Um, oh, and it, so it all made it an even more deflating day for Pep and City. Mm. 14 points now behind league leaders Liverpool, a gap no one's bridged in Premier League history at this stage of the season. Pep Guardiola's worst points return after the first 16 matches of a top flight season in his managerial career. I watched City, they look bereft, they look confused on this day. Winning is hard, mm. sustained winning. Back-to-back-to-back titles is almost Westworld host-esque. A mental fatigue kicks in as much as anything. Mm. You look at City, the big marquee assets, the core of that team, Fernandinho, Silva, Aguero, aging out, company gone. The twilight of the City careers for many of their stars. A comprehensive rebuild must now take place. Do you think Pep has the energy to oversee it? See, I wonder about that, whether a comprehensive rebuild needs to take place. Remember Chelsea, that awful season they had in 15-16, and then they came back in 16-17 and they won the league. And it was the same group of players. It wasn't like a lot of change that happened. That was Mourinho's third season, and then Conte came in and he, he solved it. I think the issue is here with Pep, and it's Pep... This reminds me, the City team reminds me of, you know, when Pep first came into the Premier League and that sort of pointless possession. City had a lot of chances in this game. You know, United, credit them, they were determined and they they took theirs. They didn't have a lot of other chances to go, you know, beyond that first half when, when they were killing. In the second half, City were the better team and they had plenty of chances to go and come back into it. But there's just a lot of pointless passing. There's a lot of pointless possession. What did they have? 72% possession. It was a lot, but it was pretty pointless. I still think that that City team are good. I still think even their senior players are very, very good. They've got some issues at the back. I'm sure Pep is going to... I'm sure he's going to have pressure to to address that in January, even though he's saying he doesn't want any new players, which seems like a bizarre thing to say. We'll say watching him, the oh. intensity, the stress. And I thought a lot about this since Pochettino's demise and speaking to people around Tottenham Hotspur. You know, in business, business leaders, the difference between business and football is that only one Premier League manager every year can win. Klopp said this to me last year. Yeah, so true. And that must take just an immense toll for the ones at the top. Watching Pep on the sideline, I mean, we see him unravel. We see him become a meme. We forget that he's human. And that amount of suffering, I do wonder, like, how long you you can sustain that. He's only done four years at any club. I'm guessing the Champions League will become his obsessive focus uh, for this season, but we will see. And I think that storyline is stuck. Uh, what will Pep do? Uh, and Manchester City is going to become the second half of the season narrative drum that will continue to be beaten. But on this day, let's say Manchester United, magnificent, absolutely yeah, magnificent. Absolutely. Win two in a row in the league for the first time since early March. This game, a major win in a massive match with a real personality, identity, soul, no question marks, before a beaming Sir Alex. Fantastic to see him back in rude health, savouring United glory. It was, it was wonderful. 
Look, a Premier League with a strong Manchester United is a better Premier League. And this is a team who really have everything. They've got a great goalkeeper. They've got a great defence. They've got great players in midfield. They've got creative players. They've got enforcing players. They've got great wide players. They've got amazing speed. They've got a great centre forward. They really have every a great stadium and great fans. Amazing tractor engine partners. Yeah, no, the official do. potato snack of yeah, Asia. No, they Mr. have all potato. of those things. They've, they've like more sponsors than anybody. They've got everything you really need to go and be a successful club. And now let's see if uh, OGS can kick them on. Well, this was smiting rivals season for OGS. First manager to beat Jose and Pep within a single week. So much pace, so much oh, lethality and transition. Can they thrive against the smaller teams where they're expected yeah, to dominate? You're right. I mean, they're almost like Liverpool in the early days of Klopp where they really fought the bigger opponents yeah. Uh, and then wilted and gave up points again. I I'm, I'm, guess I'm saying this because they're about to play Everton and I'm yeah. praying this is true. But in this season of crazy narrative flip-flops, United are now in fifth. Yeah. Five points off the Champions League. Yeah. They do have Everton coming this Sunday and after beating Pep and Jose, the Premier League's third iconic manager arrives to face Ole. Mm-hmm. Big dunk. In United and Tottenham both smelling the blue blood of Chelsea and feeling that they can catch them up quickly. Bournemouth nil, Liverpool 3, another routine win for Jurgen Klopp and co. Extends their unbeaten streak. Goals from Ox in the Box, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Naby Keita and Mo Salah. Keep Liverpool eight points clear atop the Premier League table. They could play Skippy the Kangaroo in place of any of their players and still win. Wash your mouth out. Skippy's a blue. Just the seven changes for Jurgen Klopp on Saturday. (laughs) Are you a blue? Is that what you're saying, Skippy, that you're a blue? Blue, yeah. That you're like Tony Hibbert? uh, First... (laughs) You can't go fishing with Hibbo, Skippy. You've got to play on the left wing. Oh, bite your arm off for Skippy to start for Everton <laughs> against United. I gotta tell you, first Premier League start of the season for Naby Keita, a symbol of a new Liverpool trait. You'll squad... never get the offside rule though. Oh, squad depth, mate. <laughs> yeah. Squad depth for Liverpool. Sadio Mane, take your seat on the bench. Load management, and after the anxious kind of November of leaving it to the last minute to extract three points, this was Cruz again. Liverpool against a Bournemouth side who'd lost four straight and really played like Andy Ruiz. I've got to say, I did love his post-fight quote. I don't want to say that the three months of partying, celebrating affected me, but to tell you the truth, it kind of did. Fantastic moments. Ox, first Premier League goal after two injury-plagued years. Salah's wizard filth with that backheel flick, which uh, empowered Cater to score. Amazing. 16 out of 19 outfield players. Liverpool have fielded, have now scored. Salah later grabbed his 10th goal of the season. Uh, I mean, he looked better in this game than he has in weeks. And Liverpool take three points. Most played song on Jurgen Klopp's Spotify rap personal playlist, Victory Hugs. Their focus now moves to the point today they need to extract from Salzburg to move on in the Champions League, which is funnily, it's almost become an afterthought for them this season. But an astonishing Premier League First half, never before bettered in English top flight history. 16 games, Davo, 15 wins, 40 goals scored, 46 points accrued, one league defeat in 55, and just seven more games to go this month. But now they've got Shakiri, Keita, Gomez, Lalana to rely as they walk on with more hope in their hearts than I think should be legally admissible. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard. It's kind of like sometimes I look at my garden in winter and the idea of summer is impossible to imagine. You just can't imagine that same garden looking, looking summer-like. 
And the same in summer. It's impossible to imagine winter. With Liverpool playing this well, it's impossible to imagine a moment when they won't play this well. It's impossible to imagine the end of this streak. And yet it will happen. I can't in see sport, it. In sport, it will think happen. I about it every night. Football is rarely, rarely a straight line of this will go on forever. It won't go on forever. I think hopefully for Liverpool fans and certainly to everyone objectively looking at it, it seems as though this is going to last until the end of this season. So enjoy it while it lasts. It doesn't make you a better person if you're a Liverpool fan. It doesn't mean that you are more successful in life. He's talking to you, brother Enjoy, But just enjoy it. It won't go on forever. Enjoy it. It's lovely to do a podcast with Chauncey the Gardener. I do dream about Liverpool losing almost every night. And the the late, great Juice World had a a line in one of his songs, all this jealousy and agony that I sit in. I'm a jealous boy, really. feel like John Lennon. That describes me this season as I watch Liverpool, what they've done. It's been amazing. And meanwhile, in Bournemouth, Eddie Howe, who if Bournemouth were playing better, I think would be the the presumptive uh, new manager of Everton Football Club. Childhood Blue. Um, Suddenly... Nobody's that excited about Eddie Howe going to Everton. <laughs> Suddenly, I think you've talked about Eddie Howe for a lot of years. No mention of Eddie Howe now. Bite your arm off, Rune Emery. <laughs> Aston Villa 1 or Skippy. Aston Villa 1, Leicester 4. The Foxes win a club record eighth game in a row. Wow. Behind a brace from 32-year-old Jamie Vardy. He him? now has a league-leading 16 goals this season. Kalechi, Ihiracho and Johnny Evans were also on the score sheet. Leicester stay second, just eight points behind Liverpool. Yeah, Aston Villa had their early chances in this, but they are so toothless in attack. El Ghazi on the edge of the six-yard box, clanked the ball right off the bar with just a vast expanse of goal waiting. Leicester then showed them what they should be doing. Economical finishing is just the trait of Leicester City. Four goals on eight shots on target, which just flowed. Once Villa's rock, Tyrone Mings tweaked a hamstring and Leicester took full advantage. Jamie Vardy scoring twice, the first one dishing out assists to himself mm. as well as just scoring the goals. He became just the second player in Premier League history to score in eight successive games wow. on two separate occasions. The other one, Ruud van Nisselrooy. But somehow, Dave, I do believe he's still underrated. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about that. I th- I'm... I think that a lot of people who really understand football see his movement, see how well he finishes, and you look at his story about where he came from. Uh, I think he's actually become a better player since he retired from international duty. I think that's been a huge totally thing for agree him. With that. You know, he's playing in a system under a manager around players who really, really know what he can do. Like yep. they understand yep. where to put the ball. I mean, that is so true. It's an amazing stat since Brendan Rodgers' first game in charge, March third. Jamie Vardy has scored twenty-five Premier League goals, eight more than any player in that time. He's just a back-shoulder assassin. I do marvel how economically he decides when to make runs and when not, and then he is so bloody lethal. I mean, I, I paint houses. That's why I think he screamed after he scored his second. He undoubtedly also, if you're asking, does his own carpentry. I imagine Jamie Vardy just constantly dumping weapons into the Schuylkill River. He reminds me of, of Hansi, actually, from the Fargo, Fargo 2, the tracker and hitman, working for the Gerhardt family, just tracking Liverpool down. He's remarkable. And mentioning Brendan Rodgers, fine week for him. Committed his long-term future to Leicester, signing a new contract till 2025. Mm. He reminds me now ever more of a Premier League Elon Musk. And what he's done, it is impressive, David. Defence best in the league. We've talked about how intolerant Leicester City's midfielders are of their teammates' miscalibrated passes. But watching Ihinacho just charge on, take his chance, close down so deep, it's amazing watching them all. And he's, 
getting such amazing performances out of unheralded Premier League veterans and new players who didn't have a lot of heat around them and his back line particularly I mean they're going to lose players in January this is going to be something that's going to affect Leicester a lot because they've become you know the new Southampton but also a really good team themselves and I think a lot of clubs are going to be coming after uh, some of their elite players December 26 Liverpool play Leicester circle that date Brodge never unhyperbolic called this win against Aston Villa quote a real historical performance yeah Brodge always number one in the smug table talking of smug Tottenham 5 Burnley nil. Spurs bounce back from that United loss in emphatic fashion by pumping five past the band of Lancashire Coyotes <sighs> known as Burnley a series of NSFW goals in this one including a long range howitzer from Harry Kane and an end to end South Korean scamper and score from Sun Mourinho though will probably have taken more pleasure from his first clean sheet he's now won four of five since taking the helm yeah newly, amazing that would be newly blessed out medical marijuana Mourinho still yep. All smiles, even after the shocking loss at Old Trafford. He said, I simply told my players, I don't want them to feel sad in defeat. I want them angry. And on four minutes, Harry Kane, just that, taking oh, out so much anger on the ball. Like, you don't understand me, stepdad. You can't tell me what to do. You're not my real dad. He then had a second, two goals for Kane, making it 25 in 26 matches for club and country. Yet he's still so overrated. But the real talking point here. Sons won the goal. He ran like a South Korean Lamar Jackson. Big trust, David. Yeah, no, look, it was an amazing goal. I was watching it with producer J-Dubs yesterday and I was reminded of that goal that Eden Hazard scored for Chelsea a couple of seasons ago against Arsenal. He sort of went the length of the field and beat a bunch of players. And I think this goal was every bit as good. Son is deceptively fast. He's deceptively long of leg. I think Rog. he accelerated at least three times in yeah, the process. Yeah, no, he changes his pace. It would be very interesting to speak to the Hawkeye people about that for their skeletal tracking. Um, you can also ask the Hawkeye people if defending is optional. Yeah, exactly. For, for exactly. It, yeah, it, was a bit, it was a little bit match fixy, without a doubt. Um, maybe they're taking some South Korean money. <laughs> you never know. Um, they could do with it up there in Lancashire. He ran through eight players, yeah. 91.4 yards from his own 18-yard line. It was as close as a Premier League gets to a kick return. Mm-hmm. He had Delhi creating a lane with a decoy run, sun just bursting through the hole at warp speed. But I'm reminded of the Ray Hudson quote, he's running like he's got a food mixer down his shorts and it's set to beat. I mean, it's the kind of goal you watched it and you realise for Spurs fans, they will be talking about this goal in pubs, in clubs, around family tables for years. It is, it is the kind of moment. Yeah, that it's just, like one of those goals. Yeah, a seared, shared Memory of wonder, such pace, such direct force of will, such Silvio Farrell footwork. The Korean commentary find it on the internet. It's just yeah, bottled pride and joy, and it's everything that's wonderful about the game. I just wonder if Josie Mourinho goes home at night and closes the door and just suddenly just collapses into a ball and just says, I can't continue to be this nice. Like, it's just it's, 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 this act, does. I think, this act comes is next, just I, impossible. I think he does. Definitely oh. And then he, what comes next is what's most important. He just fires up a fat one. Yeah, maybe. Brighton 2, Wolves 2. Two goals from Diogo Zotta. Keep the boys from the black country unbeaten in 11 and make this their best start to a top flight campaign, even <laughs> after a terrible start to this top flight campaign in 40 years. Fresh thinking Graham Potter's Brighton, meanwhile, are 12th. I love Graham Potter. We actually met him when we were in Manchester. He was walking around the lobby of our very packed hotel mm. in Manchester with a tracksuit on, a Brighton tracksuit with his initials GP. 
just wanting people to notice him and no one did. I mean, he's fresh-faced. He's he's quietly just had his contract extended at Brighton until 2025, like the Brodge. 34, unheralded. Most shockingly of all, British, derided by many when he was appointed. Not the traditional managerial kind of career track he's had. And Brighton on just in 12th. They're playing ambitious, possession-based, joyous football without needing the mythical three or four transfer windows to create change. To me, proof that small teams can do more for their fans than just hang on in the Premier League. They can entertain and they can thrive. It's wonderful. Newcastle 2, Southampton 1. The tune come from behind and repel Ralph Hampton from Tyneside. <laughs> and Andy Carroll assisted John Joe Shelby header and an 87th minute Federico Fernandez goal. See the tune surge into 11. Steve Bruce has them unbeaten in three. I think that was my goal of the season. I, I can stop the league right now. Andy Carroll crossing the ball for John Joe Shelby to nod his third goal in three games. Just, just the head and the ball coming together in harmony. Not since the video for Ebony and Ivory, I think, have such harmonious sounds been composed by two men side by side on their piano keyboard. Oh, Lord, why don't we? Here's the problem with goal of the season competitions, is that they look for the best goal. They look for the technically most difficult goal, the most impressive visually goal of the season. I'm saying that really the goal of the season should be the most narrative-defying goal yeah, or I mean, the most narrative you, defining goal the best that, story the funniest that, you one you look at that in our world in chaos right yeah. now just riven by hate yeah and i look at that goal and yeah. i think if a man with that head of hair that shagger yeah andy carroll can instead of shooting blindly the ball into the stands yeah. blowing the ball over 50 yards because yeah. it's all about him if instead he can say no my little ball friend yeah who i have so much and you have so little yeah i'm gonna serve you up on your and you're going to score in the way I normally score. We're going to reverse roll, and yeah. then I'm going to hug. I'm going to touch you, bald yeah. man. Even though you're derided by society, yeah. which is consumed by hate, and you're absolutely just an outcast. I'm going to pick you up and hug you and show the world we can get on. I believe Andy Carroll. And I don't like to be hyperbolic. And John Shelby, yeah. they might be our only hope. I know. So I think maybe we should think about a Men in Blazers goal of the season, <sighs> which looks for different qualities narrative. than the actual. Yeah, narrative. Uh, it's Men in Blazers narrative defying or defining narrative defying slash defining goal of the season. Yeah, because I've got to say, I just threw this tip out. If civilization does come crashing down and only two humans survive, and we have to, pro- they have to procreate together to create the perfect human. I hope it's John Joe Shelby and Andy Carroll who are left and we all have to somehow... Yeah. That can happen, can't it? John Joe Shelby like may be the last like male biped in Britain that Andy Carroll has not shagged. <laughs> um, By the no. way, other news, Newcastle's death under Steve Bruce greatly exaggerated. Oh, my word. Norwich 1, Sheffield United 2. This agriculture versus industry derby sees the Blades overcome a 1-0 deficit thanks to early second-half goals from Ender Stevens and George Baldock. Sheffield United at 8. The Canaries, meanwhile, stayed down the coal mine that is the relegation zone. Amazing. I mean, two teams still unbeaten away from home this season. Amazing. One of them, 87 points clear at the top of the table. Liverpool, heard of them? The other, your mighty Blades who, as they did here, keep coming back from behind to do so. Magnificent. Watford nil. Crystal Palace nil. A turgid affair at Vicarage Road. The point keeps Palace in the top half of the table. They're 10th. Watford remain nailed to the bottom of the table. They failed to score in nine of 16 games this season, and they've appointed an old, slightly angry friend as their new manager, (laughs) Rog. Yep. Ex-Leicester manager slash sideline street fighter Nigel Pearson is back. Appointed... Bottom of the table, Ord manager, 
till the end of the season. Guardian journalist at Bonnie Renee tweeted, Understand Nigel Pearson demands at Watford included bare-chested wrestling bout with Joey Dini to establish alpha status. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we said, listen, when we said the world needs more Nigels, genuinely, even we did mean this one. This is, <laughs> this is, this by the way, comes in a week in which the British media reported on the ongoing Nigel crisis. They found out there were, quote, fewer than two Nigels born in the UK in 2016. Wow. Down from peak Nigel, 1963, when there were 5,529. That's too many. I say we're still waiting for the first GFOP to call their baby boy or girl Nigel. But I love that quote, less than two Nigels. I mean, surely the number's one. Or do you think it could be a fraction, Sitchi? <laughs> it could be. It could be. <laughs> a, non-reducible, a non-reducible Nigel. fraction. I'm actually quarter Nigel. West Ham won. Aren't we Arsenal all quarter Nigel three. in our own way? Arsenal's nine-game run without a win is over after falling behind to a 38th-minute Angelo Ogbonna head-slash-shoulder. Freddie Ljungberg's for Arsenal stormed back in the second half, reeling off three goals in the span of nine minutes. It started in the 60th minute with 18-year-old Brazilian baby. At last, he's playing Gabriel Martinelli. That was followed by an absolute blast in the 66th minute from Pepe. Wow, he's getting a performance out of the kids. Oba cap things. On 69 minutes with a swivelling strike, and Freddie has won his first game in charge. God, I, this is a greatest mood swing of a game. I'm saying that as an Everton fan. I mean, d- producer Jonah, who works with us, lives and dies of Arsenal, came in this morning and goes, he goes, you know, I feel like I'm in an abusive relationship because yes. first half Arsenal, woeful. Backline, injury depleted like the Eagles receiving core. Lost Kieran Tierney on 29 minutes to a shoulder injury. They'd lost Hector Bellerin already to a hamstring tweak in warm-ups. The team couldn't connect a pass. Robbie Musto, just the, the most fair-minded Robbie, even he was like, the Arsenal are that bad at halftime. They went in 1-0 down after a goal off Ogbonna's shoulder. And it got so bad, Davo, for Arsenal. I found myself at times just sympathy cheering for them. Me, an Everton fan, sympathy cheering. That's how low it became. The commentators started a talk of relegation for that Arsenal had just taken 13 points in the last 13 games when narrative flip, three goals in nine minutes, Arsenal joy explosion, first Arsenal goal. Just, I, I mean, so many players, Ozil, Xhaka, Torreira looking grim, seriously stressed out to be playing for the, for Arsenal and step up young Martinelli, 18 years, 174 days, too young to feel any of that, and he delivered magnificently. And my, my dominant emotion, Davo, was just relief for them. Even Arsenal need some good things to happen to them this holiday season. Rush. And they got more than one, because that second goal, if ever a player needed to score, much maligned $95 million Pepe, a fantastic finish, first in open play, and the celebration, just emitting a kind of exhilaration, relief, redemption that Pulisic gave Hoff when he netted his mm. first for Chelsea, God love Pepe. I bet he was back active in Arsenal WhatsApp group chats for the first time in ages mm. after the final whistle. Oh, and it was amazing. Arsenal, you can feel happiness. You're not fated to live a life of kind of Job, biblical doom. When that ball went in, the cameras cut to Freddie Lundberg, Calvin Klein model, and then cut immediately to a slumping Pellegrini, who's never looked more like a model for Depends adult diapers. Mm-hmm. West Ham, David, have you ever seen a Premier League team that is more erratic? That win at Chelsea feels like months ago. But it was only a couple of weeks ago. I mean, look, this is a team that started the season so well and has just gone, other than that win at Chelsea, has really gone backwards ever since. And it's sad to see Pellegrini, by all accounts, a really decent man, a really a good person, a man that knows a lot about football. But still, there are just like 
overall structural worries about this football club um, that they haven't really addressed. They're a team treading water. The club confirmed Pellegrini will be in charge for West Ham's game against Southampton at the weekend. And the very fact they've had to do that is a death rattle for Arsenal. The newspaper saying a turnaround, a flip. But for one night, Dave, let's just say before we proclaim too much, just say there were positive vibes. I mean, it was amazing. Arsenal fans singing, we're staying up after Uber added a third. Even Ozil sent into delirium, a skippy dance of celebration. There were joyous hugs, a sight we've not seen for so very long. I mean, back up. This was against West Ham. Arsenal still ninth, still 22 points only, a zero goal difference and in need of a permanent manager. Don't call it a comeback. Man City will offer a more robust test this weekend. But for one night, Arsenal felt the peculiar joy of a bullet dodged, which is life-affirming in a pants-crapping kind of way of its own. Okay, your weekend looks like this, Roger. It kicks off 7.30am Eastern Time with Liverpool taking on poor, poor Watford at Anfield. Sunday, we get two tasty back-to-back games as Man United host Everton at 9am, followed by Arsenal versus Man City at 11.30am. All of those games on the NBC family of network. Let's have a prophetic shot of Jägermeister and see what the future holds, Roger. Oh, that was magnificent. It's just genuinely the most joyous shot of Jägermeister I've drunken. It tells me Everton are going to head to Manchester United uh-huh. and I just taste a big dunk-inspired fury. Wow. A pub brawl, mm. fisticuffs, pint yeah. glasses smashed, pool balls are going to fly. Mm. Unfortunately, there'll also be a football match, which is, according to my Jägermeister, got 1-1 written all over it. Oh, Theo Walcott with both goals. My Jägermeister, really? It must have come from the same batch, Rod. I <sighs> see United 1 Everton 1 and Arsenal 2 Manchester City 2 it's not me it's the Jägermeister Rodge it's a weekend of parity there are many ways to connect to us including and now extinct Amazon Emporium which has transformed to the men and blazers ball minor time Bison Biggest Ball and the Ball Bar get a tiny percent that's producer additional albeit suboptimal content what are you putting in the ball man this week Roger a book oh the sun on my head by Giovanni Martins I've been fascinated by Brazilian culture ever since you and I were stationed in Rio for the 2014 Copa das Copas. And we encountered favelas, the slums which pockmark the city, bleeding into any space they can, running into beaches, fancy neighbourhoods, hillsides, and the juxtaposition between rich and poor, possibility and non, life and death. It was also start that it's really stayed with me. And this collection of 13 short stories straight out of the favelas in Rio in a slim, Beautifully translated volume was just a magnificent read, focusing on the inner lives of the millions who grew up in squalor and the challenge of Brazil's favelas around the city, the school kids, the petty criminals, the police, fear, aspiration, hopelessness, living side by side. The essays, I will say they're more vignettes rather than kind of fully fleshed out stories, but they are nonetheless haunting for that. They provide you with an incredible sense of setting that takes you out your own life and into the struggles and wonders of other, like City of God in written form. Uh, Rod, something very different for me. Um, I received some terrible news this weekend about a friend who unfortunately and inexplicably uh, took his own life. And no, suicide is just to anybody who's never contemplated it. It is. There's no way to understand it. There's no way to figure out what's going on, but just the one thing, my overwhelming feeling is that it's something that life should never come to. It should never come to taking your own life, the pain you leave behind uh, to everyone around you. And I'd just say to any 
GFOPs listening to this pod, you know, for yourselves or for anybody you know who is suffering from that kind of depression and thoughts of suicide, please, please look up the National Suicide Prevention uh, Hotline. It is 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, National Network of Local Crisis Centres, provides free and confidential emotional support to people in suicidal crisis or emotional distress 24 hours a day seven days a week and just please remember that number it's just important this can be a very sad time of year for a lot of people and it brings on um, a lot of emotions and i can't think of anything more important even if this only affects one person or one person known to one person who is listening to this pod please please take down that number loneliness can be overwhelming yeah absolutely and the emotions that you bottle up the most important thing is to find someone whether it's on that hotline or someone in your own life to talk about them talking about emotion takes out half of the power of the thing absolutely. so to more for your loss we're sorry to life to joy to wonder to making every moment matter love you rog love you dave love you gfops to all of you courage <laughs>